if it was straight up erotica, it would just be um, sex for the interest of sex. It was it would be for titillation, right? And that's what the reader expects when they pick up something from an erotica book, a, ca- a book categorized by erotica. Erotic romance, there should be a romantic arc. That should be the focus, the relationship between the characters. And the sex is a manifestation of that. It's an integral manifestation of that, but it's it's really a reflection of the emotions. Hey, hey, Steam Scenes is back for another scintillating conversation about writing the naughty bits. I'm your host, El Greco, and I have had I have had not nearly enough coffee for this morning. This episode's guest is Maggie Sims, and this is a doozy. We're talking about kink in Regency romance, and I'm reading a naughty bit from her book, Sophia's Schooling. Since I'm still sleepy, let's just get to the interview. Maggie Sims began her love affair with romance before her teen years, drawn to the Regency by her mom's British influence. In her 20s, she did her best to live the Carrie Bradshaw life in New York City, albeit with less expensive shoes and more books. Despite reading hundreds of romance novels in her life, she was still blown away when she met the love of her life and ex-Marine cinnamon rolls with creative woodworking and culinary schools, skills, not schools, skills, both of which are very important, I might add. Having retired from corporate life, they live in Central Texas and are parents to a varying number of dogs and cats. When not writing, Maggie is a wine enthusiast, a travel junkie, and a romance reading fiend. She also sporadically crochets for knotsoflove.org and does just enough exercise for that second glass of wine at night. Welcome, Maggie, to Steam Scenes. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Al. This is really exciting. So, okay, question. How long were you, were you in New York for? Uh, about seven years, seven years through my twenties. They were really kind of some of my best stories. Uh, But you know, (laughs) I know your twenties in New York are the best. That was, I was in the New York area for 20 years. So, um, and my twenties were absolutely firmly planted in the city and Mm -hmm. it was super fun when I was there because it was still kind of gritty, you know, um, it was always expensive, but it was definitely more affordable than it is now as well oh yes it wasn't everything (laughs) (laughs) i know but new york is just like prohibitively um expensive now like just so unbelievably expensive it's it's kind of like eye-popping so what were you doing there uh i had graduated college and i i'd grown up in connecticut and i went to school uh undergrad up in massachusetts um, so where all my, like a lot of my college, um, graduate, you know, friends went to Boston from college. I went back to down toward New York. I, I wanted to be the, the small fish in the really big, big pond <laughs> right? <laughs> and see what I could do there. And I was, I was actually in accounting, public accounting for a while. And then I went over into finance and then I went into technology and now Whoa. I'm retired and writing romance. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. That is completely different from <laughs> like, you know, from what you're doing now. So when, yes. when did you, okay. When, when did you start writing? Like, even like if it was like, I was three and <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, I mean, I tried my hand. I dabbled um, in high school for the, for our high school's literary magazine, um, but didn't get very far. And then I, it wasn't really until 
want to say right around 30 when I was laid off um, from, cause I was out in San Francisco by then in the Bay area. And, okay. um, it was, you know, the, the, the tech companies are always having layoffs. And so <laughs> I had a couple months there and I was like, all right, I'm going to job search, but you can't do that for eight hours a day. So let me actually try this. And, um, uh, and it was, you know, I had a great time, but my jobs were demanding enough. I was making a career, right? Not just working right. at a job and, and they were demanding enough and had long enough hours that I didn't pursue it when I was working. So the next time I attempted to actually sit down and write, um, I realized that that book had payphones in it and probably will never, ever see the light of day, oh. um, even as a historical, right? It was supposed to be a contemporary <laughs> for like Harlequin. <laughs> I, I love like, how you're like, it had payphones now. It's a historical. Yeah, right, exactly. So. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so old. <laughs> I know, I know, me too. I'm older than you, so no, I, I yes. <laughs> but um but yeah, so I started over and what I started was Sophia's uh, book um, because I had had the realization of, you know, it was it was 2015. So I'd been reading historical romances since I was, you know, 11 or something crazy. And um, okay. and then I um, and then I read like the Fifty Shades and the early Maya Banks that, that were better books than her later ones, in my personal opinion. And um and a few others. And I was like, well, what about combining those? What about a historical erotic? Like they didn't have the dungeons and the St. Andrew's crosses and the whatever, you know, at least as far as we can tell, like I haven't been able to find any documentation of that. And, um, and so I'm like, you know, what would they have done and who's written about it? And there were only a handful. Um, Annabelle Joseph, who was my inspiration and, and mentor, and she gave me my first cover review quote was one of them and um and a couple others and uh and I was like I uh, oh there's a like my my finance and and you know business school brain went there's a niche market that I can fill right now in that but it took me like five years six years to to write it and get it um accepted by a publisher and so by then there's there's definitely more people in the space Golden Angel was just starting out. You know, there were there were right. a number of other who who are fabulous um, uh, uh, historical kinky authors, and so um, I guess I should say authors of historical kink. I don't know that they're kinky. So anyway, um, <laughs> we're making a lot of my, assumptions here, right? Yeah. <laughs> like my adjective was definitely possibly in the wrong place, but yes. Okay, um, I, I want to yeah. back up for a second. Yeah, I want to back up for a second. So when you're you're laid off. You're you're in this sort of tech finance, you know, new biz, biz mm -hmm. development, whatever job, yeah. And you're laid off, and you're like, I, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try writing. But where, like, I, I'm <laughs> kind of curious where we go from. I tried writing for the literary mag, the literary magazine in high yeah. school, to yeah. being 30 and laid off, and being like, might as well try that book idea I've had. Like, we're like, there's been a book <laughs> simmering in you for like you know 15 years here let's yeah. let's talk about that <laughs> um i so i had read like since the early days of harlequin right like the violet windspear and ann mather days of 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 harlequin and 
the purple covers of silhouette, you know, and <laughs> the early day, like, you know, all the same authors that, you know, many people my age will quote the Kathleen Woodowis, the, you know, um, Judith McNaught, the, you know, all of those. Right. And so I've been re like avidly, like I would go to the library on a Saturday morning and get through three of the Harlequin by the time that I, you know, had to ride home for lunch. So, wow. Um, I've always been a romance addict. That's, that's always been my go-to genre of choice. And, um, I don't know, you can only read so much too, right? right. Um, and, uh, when you're, when you've got an open day every day and I was living in a very small apartment, there wasn't like I had to clean a lot or anything like that. <laughs> a lot of, you know, I didn't have pets then. I didn't have a husband to care, uh, take care of or, or be, or entertain or whatever you want to call right, it. Right. Cause we should add like San Francisco prices are, pro are more expensive than New York prices. Like that's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, because you have to have a car too. So yes. Um, but yeah, so I just was like, well, let me do something with, you know, and I, I don't know. I've always like, I was never good at art, but I could do calligraphy. So mm. I've always gone to something around words. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> that yeah. So, oh, okay. I don't know. Um, so, okay. So you, so then that book that you wrote when you were laid off, that was, that was a contemporary. It was at the time, yes. yeah. And I didn't get all the way through it. Um. I'm still dying about the payphone. Um, well, you know, um, oh gosh, I just I just spaced her name. The Anita Blake series. Um, why can't I think of her name? The, Laura, the author. Lauren Hamilton. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. Laurel Hamilton. Laurel, Laurel, oh my God, yeah, Laurel, Laurel Hamilton, anyway. Laurel, Laurel, Laurel K. Hamilton. Yes, I'm like, why yes. can't I? Okay. I'm like, okay. oh my God, I'm having a hard time with that. Um, she, her very first book, the very first Anita Blake book, or the the first few, ah. Anita's like running around with a beeper. Uh huh. Uh huh. And oh it's gosh, like I've so funny that. to read. Like I yeah. got, I got, I need to find a payphone. I go to a beep, and every time I read that, it just makes me giggle because I'm like. Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I, think I mean, I read those a lot closer to the beeper days. Yeah. So, you know, it didn't occur to me. And God, you have a great memory for that stuff. Jeez. Yeah. And I think the first, the first, first book, it was like, I think they went to see like Les Mis or Phantom of the Opera. And it was like a really big musical that they went to go there. And I was like, oh my God, that's like Broadway's longest running musical that is just closing. You know? Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like this kind of like novel you know, novel musical. So it's so funny how, how stuff like that gets dated. And so quickly, um, I think in our, the past 20 years, like I, I feel like things get dated faster than they did 30 years yes, ago. Yes. Yes. You know? So I think that's really funny. It's a good um, reason to write historical. It <laughs> is a good reason to write historical because then you're accident you're not accidentally doing it. Um, <laughs> so I know that you, you were a big, historical reader and so and I love that you it like your business brain sort of triggered and said hey oh, yeah. I think I found a niche for this I mean um, I'm a big I'm a pan romance reader other than what they like to call sweet and I don't like that phrase but I like clean even less um <laughs> because I mean anything between two people who care about each other is clean as far as I'm concerned and can be sweet but um or however many people but um I 
I pan read. I I read paranormal. I read I read a ton of contemporary. Strangely enough, I read any period historical, except maybe like 1950s and forward. Um, so you know, I it wasn't so much. It it for contemporary. By the time I actually settled down to write, you know, I am we'll say over 40, just <laughs> plus a lot, but um, Same. they. <laughs> Right. And so it's like, I don't know if I can get the lingo down. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if I can get the vibe down. It, you're right. It, you know, like as soon as I write swipe right, there'll be something else, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, but I was cemented in the Regency, not just because of having grown up reading it, but also because of my mom's roots and, uh, and my mom's whole family is still over there. And, oh, wow. but then it was like, there was just enough world building in a lot of historical readers minds that I didn't have to start from scratch. And that was attractive as well. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Because contemporary, we don't have to build. I, I mean, I argue this all the time because I do think that we, we have to build, there is a lot of world building because you're mm -hmm. building a, you know, you're building the world that the characters inhabit, even if it is contemporary, but there's certainly some shortcuts that we have, right? Because you don't right. have to explain so much right like because, you can say you know. stays you can say the fall of his breaches you can say whatever and readers know what that is like right. i can't imagine the early writers having to you know put that on the page and still keep us moving right 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 without having to kind of explain it i, I think that's yeah. a really interesting point because you know language does do a lot of work for us yes um, or certain language does a lot of work for us uh, there take and takes a lot of shortcuts and who was doing who was doing the work before we had the shortcuts right <laughs> but I think with Regency in particular there's also it almost feels like because I don't write it and I, I don't read it as much as I should hmm. there's no it should. almost feels like another language a little bit yeah Right. Yeah. Because the, because there is a, a different there are different expressions for things that that I think are sort of super interesting. Um, and I and I was kind of curious when I was reading your excerpt, I was actually thinking about this, like, mm -hmm. where do you where do you learn that? Right. Like, how do you know that? Is it because you read so much that you understand the, the language and the patterns and the and mm -hmm. this is a word for this and this is the word for that? Or <laughs> is there a thesaurus? Like, how, how, do you, how do you know the how do you know this stuff? <laughs> well, OK, so combination of things. Number okay. one, I don't necessarily do the best job at keeping the phrasing and the terms um, authentic. Um, I've been called out in reviews for missing things like I think in I think in Sophia's book I used the word pants one time and oh, no. even today Brits don't call trousers pants right they, right. they call underwear pants and so right. you know that uh, that was a miss and I I took that and I was like thank you and I corrected it by book two you know so right um so but there's from reading a lot of Regency um especially the earlier ones I have it a little bit. And then having British family is so key. Right. Because they still say sometimes like, I beg your pardon versus sorry and things like that. And so, I, and oh my gosh, if you saw my WhatsApp with one of my cousins who doesn't even read romance, she's just like appalled that I'm writing romance. And so, and I'm like, hey, what do you say for, in, if you weren't saying the bin, 
would you say the rubbish, you know, like what, what word would you use? Like with, that's more formal. And so I'm like always what's upping her. And then there's also, um, an etymology, uh, I think it's like etymi online or something like that, a website that is fantastic. It's a free resource. And so you can see the history. So even something like belt buckle, or I'm, I'm coming up with something on the fly, but belt buckle or something, you notice how all of mine are around like Pants. people's undergarments yeah. and, and undressing. <laughs> Do you notice that? <laughs> Sorry. No, um, that's fine. <laughs> there's a trend. There's a trend right, here. There's definitely a, <laughs> yes. Um, so, but belt buckle, like you can see, well, when did belts, you know, you can go to Wikipedia and see when were belts actually really first started used as a fashion accessory. And were they, were they buckled? Did they have the, the metalworking skills to like create these nice buckles and stuff like that? And, they did. I mean, they had buckles on shoes, right? But, right. you know, you can check anything like that um, between Wikipedia what, and, etymo- and the etymology site. I think what's astounding to me, though, is you're even sort of drilling down enough to ask these questions. Like, I feel like I would just take it for granted that, like, there's a there's a belt yeah. and a buckle, you know? And so it's kind of fascinating to me that you are – your process is is so thoughtful that you're able to stop and say, wait – did they have that? Let me go back and research. Because to me, I don't know. I'm like, I'm exhausted. That's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. But here's the thing. Like my first draft of Sophia had something like she had to get, you know, back in the game <laughs> or something like that. And it had like a bunch of modern phrases. And I, thank God I caught them. My critique partners caught some. And then my editor caught the rest. Right. And so it's, it's definitely an evolution, uh, you know, of being aware in the back of your mind as you write something and you're like, that's, right. that's not a, a, a time appropriate phrase. And you just change it. You know? I, I just love but that it, you catch it. You know, I don't know. Yeah. That, but it took me know. like, you know, five years of, you know, drafts and learning and, you know, to become that aware. Right. Well, okay. So you have, yeah. okay. So we've got one book, one Sophia's schooling. Mm-hmm. And then you have the second book coming out, which mm-hmm. is Ro- Rosalind's Rebellion. Nope, actually, I'm sorry. sorry that's um, the that's the that's the oh, sorry. It's a, that's a free. That's a free um, to to newsletter signups book. Right. It's a novella. It's twenty three thousand words, which was supposed to be fifteen thousand, but I don't write Isn't short. That funny how that happens, right? Yeah. <laughs> so they get a nice little novella um, when they sign up for my newsletter. But that's and that's a prequel. Great. So okay. the cousin who takes Sophia in when she becomes an orphan, she's 18, but, you know, girls have to be under the care of somebody um, until they're married and particularly until they're 21. And so um, so the cousin takes her in. He and it, that's his meet, meet cute with his wife, um, who both appear quite a bit, especially in the beginning of Sophia's book. Got it. So it's and it's a nice little e- way to ease in. Like, do I really want to read Regency erotic? Um, you know, and does this author do it the way I like it? You know, so. Um, and then Penelope's Passion is book two. Great. That's about a working class girl who um, wants to start a bakery and decides to auction herself off at a virgin auction, to uh, for a one year contract as a courtesan. Okay. And that's Ooh. out in October of 2022. 
god that sounds so good um yeah like just a couple we're, we're a couple days away from releases we're recording this and y'all know i record far in advance so this is ready for your kindles or your e-readers like right mm -hmm. now because i'm intrigued by penelope's passion here um uh Okay, we've got a couple of things going on sure. in this book. I, I totally wasn't ready for it, but we're just going to go for it. Um, <laughs> I was like, I was saving this till later, but let's just do it. Um, you've got, okay, the series is called School of Enlightenment. So there is a place called School of Enlightenment where women go for what now? So it's um, a secret school um, that teaches young women to take their future and their pleasure into their own hands. And so there's three different, um, uh, at the time of Sophia's book, there's three different paths. There's, um, you know, aristocrats uh, who are destined for marriage or are already married. There are, um, there's the courtesan path, the demimond, and then there's servants. Okay. And so, um, think of it as a secret um, alternative, a more subtle version of the blue stockings society, plus empowering them in their, in their uh, sexuality. Okay. So, but this, the books don't actually happen at the school. It's, it's what happens after it. It's, it's how the school plays in to create these perfect unions, right. To, okay. to help these couples find happiness. Gotcha. Is this a real thing or is this sort of, is this, is this your sort of playing around here with, the, this is kind of like the fantasy element, the world building element that you're bringing into this? The School of Enlightenment is entirely my imagination. My I wish love for it. the young women of the Regency that they had more education <laughs> of financial management and, you know, everything, husband management and political husband influence. <laughs> and I bring all of that in. <laughs> management okay this is fascinating um yeah because i know that you're because i feel like this kind of straddles you know historical but now you're moving into into a fantasy area which i think works really well when you're writing erotic regency but i know the regents like historical readers are so are nitpicky and i'm well, wondering so, how you I mean, kind of fantasy to this. me fantasy to me is like uh, something like beyond the earthly realm that couldn't happen in the earth as we know it this okay. could have happened so to me right. this is simply historical fiction it's just sad that it didn't <laughs> so gotcha okay I'm right. history. i don't know that's that's my personal take on it okay um, and so i'm just kind of curious were you um was there a question when, while you were doing this, like, oh, how are the readers going to respond? Are they going to be okay? Because I do, like, I, or are they more concerned about, like, they should have been called trousers, not pants? You know, you know what I mean? Like, where, yeah. I guess, where is that line drawn for them where they're, they're okay reading something that didn't actually, was well, actually a thing? I can only tell you from feedback that I've gotten both positive and negative. Okay. Um, there, um, some of the historical readers were like, okay this is a little light on the historical and the and the love story and the romance and a little heavy on the sex right but that kind of defines erotic romance where right. the sex is very much intertwined in their path to love um and happiness and so the um the the only thing that was a recurring um 
I hate to tell people like the criticism of the book, but um, he's he's more dominant, obviously. Um, okay. They're not overtly, you know, in a DS relationship or anything, but like, you know, nor was that defined at the time, right? So he's more dominant and he it was designed as a grumpy sunshine. Okay. It feels to some like I missed the mark and he's more on the alpha hole kind of edge. And so, um, and they, and various people were fine with that. Um, they expect that a little bit more from a dominant. Yeah. But um, some people were like, well, that was fine, but he needed to do more to redeem himself at the end. So that was, that was the feedback I got that I'm very open to and I love and right. I want so that I can make the next books better, you know? Right, right, so, right. Um, yeah. I think it's hard. Like there's a balance, right? Like I think it's, like for me like I try to write the alpha hole because honestly I know that readers really like reading <laughs> the alpha hole right yeah, yeah and I end up writing the cinnamon roll anyway <laughs> <laughs> and I'm all like you know when I start I'm like he's gonna be the biggest alpha hole and it turns out he's kind of grumpy but he's mostly a great guy you oh, know <laughs> right right <laughs> Like, I cannot get that right. So I kind of love that you wrote The Alpha Hole. Okay, well, good. Well, like, and he's he's the only one until a later book. Um, so there's certainly, dom. you know, the, the first three books are going to be more dominant male. But, um, and then I'm trying to write book four as he kind of straddles between um a beta hero i don't know that i call him a cinnamon roll but a beta hero and a but he's dominant in the bedroom kind of thing right and right i do have a spinoff that was a nano project that's i i call it a fifty-five thousand word outline basically um that is truly a cinnamon roll with an older woman younger man Ooh. thing going on and she's the d more dominant one and she's the more dominant one and so that'll happen further down the road <laughs> but you gotta get through another few books <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i do i i do think that this is fa fascinating because you are playing with um a lot of tropes that we really don't normally think of or, or we normally find or, or we don't normally find in Regency. And so like when I was sort of, you know, reading about you and reading the scene and also, you know, we're going to talk about spanking because the spanking mm -hmm. in the book. Like, I don't mm -hmm. think that I ever kind of like was like Regency romance and then bloop, 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 spanking. And I'm like, wait, 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 what? Like, <laughs> I was like, wait, where did this come from? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and I was I was fascinated so I'm kind of, sure. where do you, so you put yourself in erotic Regency, right? Is that kind of how you would categorize? I, I hate categories, but this is what we do, yeah. right? So I consider it a Regency erotic romance. A Regency erotic romance. the, however many sex scenes might be on the page, they, they're designed, at least in my mind and my editor's mind, like to drive the romance forward and to to move the characters through their emotional arc, right? And so, and there's very much emotion in them. Um, in the beginning, there's curiosity, and then there's like, you know, interest in the person, and then there's love, right? And so right. Um, the, if it was straight up erotica, it would just be, um, 
sex for the interest of sex it was it would be for titillation right and that's what the reader expects when they pick up something from an erotica book a cat a book categorized by erotica erotic romance there should be a romantic arc that should be the focus the relationship between the characters and the sex is a manifestation of that it's an integral manifestation of that but it's it's really a reflection of the emotions and there should be an hea and that's the difference there it's a nuance to a lot of people and i get that but like that's why a lot of erotic romance authors myself included are furious because amazon has put erotic romance over from the romance category uh, you know overarching category into erotic and then erotic romance so it's under i think erotic fiction and then it's erotic romance so it's very annoying because you know it doesn't show up in searches and it's you know and it's and it's not even in the romance uh overarching category from them right i mean i know one uh or i was reading one erotic erotica writer Mm-hmm. And I actually felt like some of her books did fall into, uh, like, could, could really straddled because I think a mm-hmm. lot of times you, I mean, you can write erotica like anonymous sex, like you're just like, you know, right. back alley sex, like whatever, you know, you're turning me right. on, I'm having sex and that's, and that's it. But I know she was categorized as erotica, she categorized herself as erotica, but her books were actually very romantic and they really were about kind of falling in love but she was going after super taboo subjects and this was like years mm. ago you yeah. know like yeah. <laughs> when people were like i don't even know what to do with you you know <laughs> yeah and and she mm-hmm. just took all of her books off of amazon and she just sells them you know but she's built enough of a following where she's able to kind of do that right like she's right kind right. of um yeah. but i do think it's kind of really interesting because i'm wondering did you when you're reading the regency romance do you find did you find writers that were kind of dipping a toe in a little bit but then pulling back um yeah so i so everybody's line between steamy and erotic romance is different right Right. i mean some people like you know there's enough out there that are especially in the contemporary space of erotic romance that if you haven't filled at least eight holes by the end of the book, it's not, you know, and, and, you know, just, you have to get unendingly creative. Right. Um, so, but, so I would say the ones that straddle are like maybe a Scarlet Scott. Um, she, she gets into a more, I guess I would say dominant or even maybe domineering, um, Mm. hero, but, um, but doesn't cross the line into like kink per se. Right. Um, and then there's the Emmanuel de Maupassant, the golden angel, the um, Annabelle Joseph, that kind of thing, where they're firmly into different variations of kink. There's M Brown. There's a few others. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm missing some, but those are, those are firmly into erotic, probably, probably more sex and more craziness. Mm-hmm. Kate Pierce um, that are on the page than my books. Okay. Um, I wanted to go traditionally published. And so I kind of kept it with like, the, you know, the two people, the male, female for, for the right. moment, right. Before right. branching out. And then um, the um, in terms of spanking, even like you mentioned, you, you asked me about spanking and I went off on a, yeah, oh, it's, fine. it's totally I'm fine. <laughs> this is what we do. Yeah. On this 
the, even within spanking as a kink, Golden Angel talks more about domestic discipline, which is more like a punishment. Ooh. Whereas my characters, it's it's generally seen more as, you know, a punishment, um, as they say in the, in the well, it's a thing in contemporary BDSM romance. But anyways, <laughs> sorry, um, it's mostly considered as a punishment, or there's like different levels, right? If if it's a fun spanking versus a you're in trouble kind of spanking, which I do get into once later in the book, and it ends up being fun for both of them, anyways. And so people who bought mine that were expecting domestic discipline actually had an issue that it wasn't the same as, you know, some of the others. So it's, there's so many levels. There's so many layers. I know. <laughs> this is absolutely wild. And it's making me not want to write Regency because. Uh, <laughs> well, write Regency, like, it's like, you have to write kink. <laughs> like, it's but just, yes, it's, it's but a lot. No, because I would, I, because this is fun, right? Like this. <laughs> yes. I mean, <laughs> You know, I, I, cause I'm sort of, I'm so intrigued by like the fact that you've created this school where they go and, you know, and I'm just like, this is, this is really fascinating. And then sort of like, and then adding the kink elements into it, which like I said, I'm not, I actually was not expecting, you know, coming from, you know, Regency. And I was like, this is phenomenal. Let's talk (laughs) about this. Um, Thank you. Because you are straddling, you are really straddling, and and it sort of does become its own genre. Um, yeah, it makes it a little hard to market, frankly. Yeah, I imagine that <laughs> some it of the would. historical tend towards sweeter, right? And then right. some of the erotic are like, you know, the I'm totally into the BDSM world. I'm not into the you know spanking, first of all, or second of all, historical. So yeah, yeah, it's kind it's kind of crazy that you've sort of like woven in kinks and bdsm into these regency books and i'm just mm-hmm. like this is absolutely fascinating <laughs> um and yeah and, and make it very hard to market indeed yeah <laughs> i mean were you ever like have you have you been tempted to kind of pull back you know and, and maybe not go that far or or are you just like this is what i'm i want to write and this is what i'm writing um, for this series and the spinoff books that I'm contemplating, I will stick with this or I'll go deeper into it. Like, Ooh. like book three is a different kink. It's not spanking. It's voyeurism. Um, and that of all things came from one big Facebook group does a lot of polls. And one of the very big authors in this space asked the readers you know, it's like 4,000 members or something that she asked for their favorite kink in historical mm-hmm. romance. And they're, and like the answer came back voyeurism. I'm like, I can make that happen. All right. I'm all about writing to market in my little <laughs> sub niche. <laughs> so. <laughs> anyway. Oh my gosh. That's so awesome. So, yeah. but I, I, I could see doing completely different things too down the road. Like I could see contemporary with some kink and without um right. and you know like i don't know what i'll what i'll write i don't you know i gotta get through this one first i guess right <laughs> of course of course well i want to sort of jump to penelope and penelope's yeah. passion and the idea of okay. this virgin auction and mm. these sort of roots to you know courtesan servant aristocracy mm-hmm. like this is super fascinating to me so the virgin auction that actually sounds like it could be a thing 
It was, but it was a very ugly thing. And in fact, I have, have uh, had you know feedback from a, a different editor that was like, you really should not do this and put this out there and encourage people to view it as okay. So oh. I will own that. I will put that on record here. Um, it was, it, it was, it was, we'll just leave it as it was a very ugly pastime. But the reason I had it even in the first place was because it was truly her choice after graduating two levels of the school and it was to empower her. She gets a ton of money from it. It's a one-year contract. They do follow-up visits. And then at the end of the year, ideally she's got the start of a nest egg, probably not enough, but the start of a nest egg to um, pursue her dream of a bakery. Right. So I, I tried to I, make it empowering, even though, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't. The, it, the was true virgin, au, virgin auction was not. Well, you know, I think, I think right. what's sort of fascinating and what I'm kind of thinking about is the idea of there was this terrible thing and it was mm -hmm. an absolutely terrible thing. And how do you take that? You're kind of reappropriating something, right? Like, how do you take that yes. and turn that so maybe it does become something that is a net positive? And so I think that you could look at it as a form of reappropriation and saying, like, I'm taking this thing that was truly, truly ugly, but what if? Because that's what mm -hmm. we do as writers, right? Everything is what mm -hmm. if. Um, you that's know, true. I, I don't know. I, you know, Thank I you. mean, I don't know. I think that, like, the things that you're doing as a writer, I think, are really uh, very courageous. Thank you. Thank you. That's very nice. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of like is what's striking me most is like, I'm just like, I would be petrified. You know, like, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, I just got called out on Amazon for like a major fuck up in one of my books that like, you know, the 16,000 editors that looked at it and the, you know, oh. all of the years worth of review, like people reading it yes. and arc team and all of that. It was just a stupid, stupid error. And it was a mistake. And I just, and I got like this scathing review and I'm just wow. like, you know, ready to like go in a corner and die. Cause like I own oh. it. it was a dumbass mistake, but you know like what, nobody Elle? got it. Nobody I, got it. I, I, you know, I've seen something on, I think Twitter and Instagram about this at different times. To me, you have to look at that and say, you, you error, you made it through, you know, my three self-reviews, you know, two different editors, um, an ARC reader team, and my proof of the galley, and you are still there. Go you. Ah! You persevered. <laughs> and you just walk away. You know? Like... I love it. <laughs> just, just, that, that's what I do. <laughs> oh, my God. That is excellent that is so excellent but it was just like I so I mean just to and that was just like a dumb mistake and like and so I just think that you're just sort of saying you know what I'm doing this thing and I and recognizing that you're yeah. gonna you could get like serious blowback for some of this stuff and we're I'm all gonna like, get blowback for something right so you right. just have to write what you like and go with it I mean you know frankly you know you you're writing that is this fantastic romance but with you know, less than eight sex scenes in most, we, you know, that terrifies me. Well, what am I going to do? Because honestly, when I get stuck on what the characters are going to do, I have them have sex and then I, oh my God. <laughs> and then I have to edit some out. <laughs> so, that's like, that's I love that that's your go-to. <laughs> so 
so you know everything you know everybody has a different thing that is their challenge i have a, a friend of mine who when she needs to write a sex scene she's like insert sex scene here and those are the last things she writes because she hates them really so, but she writes them. Whatever she works. hates them but she writes them i yeah I have a hard time. I mean, clearly you don't struggle writing them. I mean, if you're just like, I don't know what else to write, so let's just have sex. Like, if you you must really enjoy writing them then. I do, actually, yeah. (laughs) Try to make them different from the other ones in the book, you know, and different from the last book. And and different from other books that people have read, right? That's the Mm. other thing, too, is, right, you're still trying to make it feel fresh and unique and specific to these two characters right right but to do that it's not just about like so you know i i know you've asked um other authors in the past like well how do you go about writing these right and so for me i go about writing the physical first like all like because i need to get the movements down so that there's not some random arm somewhere like where did that come from (laughs) his two arms are over there you know and so i get all the physical down on the page all all the mechanics the movements um and i use you know some of the right words and some of the just like you know push you know like you're not supposed to use push like you know where when you can um avoid it so but i'll get it all down and then i go back and i layer in the mental right their thoughts whoever's pov i'm in and then i go back and layer in the emotions right and Mm -hmm. for both of them like the emotions can be manifested in the way he touches her or the way she touches him, right? Or, right. you know, the fact that she doesn't touch him because she's nervous or whatever. Like, so even if I'm in the other person's POV, like I can layer in some of the emotions of both of them. And so then that's a complete sex scene, right? But it does take right. me a couple of passes and usually a little bit of editor help, like uh, a little more here, please. Okay. <laughs> so, All right. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. It, yeah, it, we actually write them very similarly. Um, but I, I just get, I just find that I get, it slows me down. And I think that's why I get frustrated with them. Cause I just want to like write the story. Like I just want to go, go, go. And, yeah. um, and, and because I, and okay. I find that like when I get to that scene, I really, I, you know, it's like, a, it's like putting the brakes on for my writing and it's like, you know, what would normally be a thousand word day becomes a 400 word day. Oh, I guess I don't always do the layering at the same point because I'm like, mm-hmm. well, they're having sex for a reason, right? Because it better be because it's supposed to move the story forward. So then right. like I have the sex scene and sometimes like halfway through, I'm like, oh, this, the rest of this needs to be from the other POV and I flip it. And then I like, and then it's the next morning or the, the that afternoon or wherever, whatever time of day and I move on and then I come back to it. And then so that's okay. often in my first round of edits. Right. Um, Right. So, no, I'm yeah. I'm pretty linear and I probably do the okay. thing I shouldn't do, which is I will go back and edit as I'm writing. And there's I know no that's should. not the best thing to do. No, there's no should. Stop it. I, I know, like I know there's no should, but like you know, there I know editing should. brain and writing brain are totally different things. Um, yeah. you know, so sometimes it's just best to charge forward. But I always feel like I can't move on if I don't know where I've come from. And right, sometimes exactly. especially with those scenes because you are layering so much into it. I feel like yeah. I need to get them done or else it's like hard for me to move on. Right. Okay. Well, you know. and sometimes like when I f- really stop and think about the emotions, I end up having to change something in the next scene if I'm coming back to it. Right. So in some ways yours could be more efficient, right. By doing, making sure it's all there right then. Potentially. Like, oh, 
you know, they have this emotion here. They can't just flip a bit and be super happy in the next scene. Like I got to go back and, you know, show that transition on the page or whatever. Right. So, yeah. so was it always this sort of like uh, for for like the first book that you wrote while you were laid off in your thirties? You know, yeah, was <laughs> were you were you always like door wide open? There's a sex on the page, totally comfortable with it, n- nothing like no. weird or unusual, like freaking out. You're no. just like I am just writing the scene. I was thirty a long time ago, so um, no, there, I hadn't found erotic romance, and I hadn't found erotica. I hadn't. And, and frankly, I was just like, I only knew like the big publishers and I thought the way to wade in was a shorter book, a Harlequin like series romance. Right. And so I was tailoring it to that. And so there couldn't be too much sex on the page. Right. Cause this was a lot, this was before publishers were putting we're comfortable right there was no harlequin blaze or anything else back then right so yeah yeah there was Mm -hmm. there was it was all very wink wink (laughs) Mm -hmm. so did that frustrate you as somebody who who clearly enjoys writing these scenes was that frustrating as a writer um no not for that well so it's to me i enjoy writing these scenes partly because I saw a niche market and I started thinking about it, right. Of how, how did kink work in the Regency period before they had all the toys. Um, But like also, you know, I have an, an outline, very rough outline of what do they call it? A seasoned romance or late in life romance kind of thing Mm. that isn't kinky at all because that Mm. story didn't feel like kink belonged in it um because of the characters i was thinking and their love arc and so it's not something that i will always include necessarily whether historical and and the 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 late in life i I refer to is i hate that term seasoned romance um it makes it sound like we're well salted exactly (laughs) um and especially when they started at like 35 or 40 whatever I remember first hearing seasoned romance. This is yeah. a seasoned romance book. I pick it up. She's 35. I'm like, oh, go fuck yourself. Right? <laughs> exactly. I was, yeah. Uh, in fact, I had heard 40. And then I heard your interview with, was it Joe? Joe, Joe Wild. Okay. Um, sorry. And, uh, and and you said 35 and i was like really how did it get younger damn it it should be getting older (laughs) but anyway sorry we digress but um but that's a contemporary right and i still don't uh you know no i i i want to try all the things and but to me i'm not going to search to try something for the sake of some of trying it i'm gonna try because the characters come to me that way right right because you have a story to tell right like i mean yeah yeah, yeah. I just think it's really interesting because you seem to have found this sort of like, uh, like the thing that you want to write about, but it also falls into like this really kind of cool niche that you're kind of stepping into. Although you're essentially creating the niche as you go along, it feels like. Or I should say niche. I always say niche. It's niche. That's all right. That's both. But um, I, I don't think I, I, I would not say I created it. I mean, I created okay. the school, but honestly, like these other there are other writers out there the way um and 
I, there aren't many of you them. know, in some ways I really did think, I thought, oh my gosh, niche market, that's going to be great because I'm going to be one of a lot fewer authors. And so people will buy, you know, me more easily right. as a new author right. than they might otherwise when, if I'm like a contemporary billionaire, you know, like then that's harder. It's a much more competitive market. And so, um, so I thought, great, but it's also, a, like I said, a harder market, a harder uh, niche to, to market. And I do think it's a smaller subset of readers. Um, yeah. And so there's, there's that to contend with. Right. right? right. So, but I would imagine we'll it's see growing. Where it it, it's got to be growing. Cause I think, you know, steamy people, readers like steamy books. You know, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, look at the success of Fifty Shades, you know, and right, I think that it right. can be, it can, that can be in whatever time period you're setting your books, really. I mean, I don't mm -hmm. think that kink didn't exist in the Regency period. Right. I think, you know, we just maybe don't really know what it looks like because a lot of this stuff is like, was it documented? I don't know that it was. Right. And if it was, it's in archives that I could not get to during COVID when I was finishing writing right. this, so. and if you're I mean if you look at like uh, uh, Victorian uh, the Victorians were very into pornography and if you look right. at sort of like you know Victorian porn writing from the mm -hmm. day it was it was it was shocking and so I yes. would imagine that there was some sort of you know kink going on I mean it was it was really I mean to the point of like sometimes it was like a little troubling shocking <laughs> but yeah. there was there ha there was there had to have been kink there had to have been there's no way there it, there's no way it wasn't well and I know you know the regency by definition is when the prince regent was acting on his father's behalf because his father was had dementia and so um and he was just he was a partier let's just put it that way right he was all about <laughs> the, having a good time right. um with everybody and everything and so he um i i feel like there was a lot more promiscuity and um an open uh sexual liaisons that during that time and then victorian the victorian era was a little bit um reaction to that where it was very repressed on the surface right. and underneath there was still this underlying but like there was i think the duke of devonshire was or devonshire or whatever however you say it um i think he was in a marriage where her best friend lived with them because she the two women were in a relationship as well Oh, wow. And okay. so it was a three-way relationship that's documented, right? And right. so um, so there was, there's like little hints of it. I love um, it. I think yeah I think I think it's just you know I, I love that you can sort of find those nuggets right like find the hints yeah. and then kind of follow mm -hmm. that trail you know which I think is really kind of cool. I mean I'm definitely yep. I definitely love history but yeah. I, I don't know if I could do the research y'all do. <laughs> uh. All right, I want to get into your steamy scene. Yeah. All right, okay. so we've got Sophia's Schooling, School of Enlightenment, Enlightenment, Book One. Can you set this scene up for us? Yes. So they have, the modern term is fooled around a couple of times. Okay, already. I was wondering what, where, the, yes, okay. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and then they were discovered um, by his best friend, her cousin, 
Um, and he was like, dude, you know, you have to marry her. And so, um, you know, of course, in Regency's <laughs> terms, not dude. But, um, and then, uh, and then they got married, and I didn't want to include their wedding night um, because that's like to me premium content. You have to buy the book to, to read that. Okay, um, fair enough. <laughs> right, but then and then he sent her to the school for training because he he uh, trains horses before he was um, the Earl and still wants to continue to try to train horses as well as balance the earldom. And, uh, and he likes to bring his crop to the bedroom. So he wanted her trained for that once he discovered the school from um, his best friend, her cousin. And uh, so she goes off to the school for two weeks. And then this is him, he picked her up at the school and they're on her on their way to his estate where they're going to kind of start their marriage and get to know each other more. And I liked this scene because it she's got this weird mix of innocence, but knowledge from the school, but not right. practical. Like she hasn't, you know, put it to use kind of thing. So she's still in learning mode. And so there's more, a little bit more dialogue. You get to know the characters a little bit. Um, and it's a little bit less, you know, over the top than some of the later scenes. And I feel like without having established why the listeners of your podcast, just like my readers, like should care about, you know, what they're doing in the bedroom, I, it would be just throwing them in. Right. And so right. this kind of helps them get to know the characters a little bit more. Okay, cool. So this is uh, this is essentially this is essentially it's like their second time having their sex. second time. Okay, because I kind of wasn't, you know, not obviously not having read the earlier scenes. Yep, I kind of was fine. wasn't sure if there was if, but this is their first time since she's been quote unquote trained. Um, you yes. know, since so since she's gone to the school. So I kind of understand this trepidation now that's kind of happening with her, mm -hmm. like a little bit. Like it seems a little like. Am I doing this right? I'm not sure. Right. You know, there's like a right. little bit of that going on, which I thought was really neat. Okay. I'm going to start reading. <clears throat> Sophia put a knee on the bed, but Edward stopped her. Uh-uh. You're not allowed to wear any clothes for this exploration. Benefits. Oh, by the way, we should say we're in Edward's point of view for this scene, by the way. Yeah. Oh, she scrambled back and shed her undergarments, throwing them on the pile of his clothing. Climbing back on the bed, she knelt next to him, hesitating as if unsure where to begin. Edward raised his hand to cup a breast. That seemed to spur her into action. Oh, I missed my plate. Okay. She swatted his hand away, saying, no, my turn, before gasping and looking at him with a hint of nerves. Right, right then. I was merely trying to provide inspiration. He laced his hands behind his head, his arm muscles bulging, unintentionally, unintentionally drawing her gaze. She smoothed, she smoothed fingertips from his elbow toward his chest. He twitched. Mayhap a firmer touch, if you please, Sophia. I admit to being ticklish. I love that. Hmm. She looked intrigued, but did as he asked, her hand then following the planes of his chest and stomach to his hip. She leaned over him to try and reach his other side. Edward touched her closest leg. May I? Tilting her head, she nodded. He hauled it over him so she was astride his thighs. She leaned in, running both hands over him. He breathed in citrus and flowers, mixing with her arousal. His eyes nearly rolled back in his head. Under, under his head, his laced fingers tightened in an effort not to grab her hips and thrust up into her. 
So did I, okay, so I loved this this moment. I'm interrupting myself um, okay. because there was there was a lot going on in these lines with trepidation, desire, consent, um, mm-hmm. and I thought there was this ease into things between them that I thought mm-hmm. was like really cool. That sort of was also easing the reader into it as well. Um, in a scene that could have been more frenetic, right? If that right. makes sense. Right. And so I thought that this was kind of like, 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 like I said, there was an ease to this that between the characters and then also for the readers where we were just kind of like, you know, sliding along into it with them, which I thought was really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, for someone who didn't want to be married necessarily, you know, he's, he's being very patient with her and mm. trying to kind of see what again benefits he can get out of this marriage as long as he had to marry but um but also allowing her to learn right right yeah i think there's a patience here too with him which i thought was pretty you know i mean he was being patient to like not touch her and you know but i also sort of like was into her curiosity about the whole thing because she was like apparently i'm gathering from this scene he was probably doing all the touching in the first <laughs> you know the idea that she didn't get her opportunity and now she wants to take it mm-hmm. which was pretty cool you know and mm-hmm. i was like you go girl you take your opportunity right. <laughs> i'm gonna keep reading she grazed his nipples pinching them as he had hers her fingernails adding an exquisite point of pain his hips shoved upward an inch and he grunted every month's muscle tense to refrain from flipping them and driving into her over and over until they both exploded. My Lord, I beg your pardon. Did I hurt you? She had drawn her hands back, sitting up on his legs. He felt her wet heat against him and wanted to write. He gritted out. No, Sophia, I like it as you do. He, his, his cock added its thoughts, pulsing up. She looked down, shocked. It does that when I feel a spike of pleasure. Would you like to touch it? Touch it. Criminy was begging again. At least it was silent so she couldn't hear his vulnerability. Would you like to touch it? Okay. Okay. So when I first read that, mm-hmm. I kind of burst out laughing because it was <laughs> yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> like, Please touch, like, it. touch it. Touch it. Touch it. Touch um, it. <laughs> and, and, and I made a note. Was this their first time? Which it obviously wasn't. Um, but it was but the it, first time she got to explore, right? The first yeah. time was she was a virgin, right? And so yeah. they sure they had fooled around and whatever, but like there had been little spanking, whatever. But like, you know, her first time was her first time, and she hadn't been to the school yet. So now she's been to the school, she knows a little bit more what to expect from both the wedding night and the school. And so he's like, "Hey, touch it." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> come on, touch it. <laughs> So I just like I I I really like I was reading through and I was like, would you like to touch it? I was like, oh my god, that's so great! Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Before his thoughts derailed him, Sophia's fingers curled tentatively around his shaft, bringing his pleasure back into sharp focus. She grasped the base of his cock, pulling it up away from his body. Her expression rapt. Her tongue came out to lick her lips, and he pulsed in her hand again, making her jump then grin with pride. Now slide your hand up until your thumb goes over the ridge and is at the tip and slide it back down like what I did at your school. 
His grin slid away as she followed his instructions, and his neck arched back as, as lightning shot up his spine from her stroke. She repeated the movement. The moisture leaking from the slit allowed her hand to glide easily up and down. Exploring, she lingered at, at the round helmeted head, circling it, then squeezed the base where her hand met his groin. She glanced up to watch his expressions as she changed her caress. What else should I do? Give me your other hand. He guided her to his sack, curling her fingers around it. She weighed it in her palm, watching as it shifted. Her hand on his cock slowed. He tapped one wrist, gentle here, the other on his shaft, firm here. Hmm. And you went faster. She sped up her pull and push. Yes, that perfect little one, he gasped out, throwing his head back. I thought this was great. First of all, I don't think we've ever had a, 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 what is essentially such a delicate word, term. I'm going to use hand job. I don't think I've ever right. read a hand job on this show, which is really oh, kind of fun. I don't think I have. <laughs> I like um, it. <laughs> which I was like, oh, wow. And I thought that that was kind of interesting how the lesson he's getting, because he's kind of guide, he's giving her a little bit of a lesson, mm -hmm. but becomes the foreplay between them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was just sort of thinking about this as I was reading through the scene and I was like, you know what? Women write foreplay really well. <laughs> right. You know, but also, shouldn't it always be a little bit like that between new lovers, even when Absolutely. it's not a virgin, like you should teach each other what you like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's, and, and I think that there is this sort of, and I, I'm guilty of this. Like I'm sort of right. Like there's an innate knowledge in my characters and they know what the other person mm. wants. But in reality, no, we don't know what the other person likes or what they don't like. Or sometimes it changes from day to day. Like mm -hmm. one day something could feel really great. And the next day it's like, no, 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 I'm really ticklish there. Don't touch, right. you know, uh, because True. it can sort of change day to day. And so I kind of really loved it that this was a lesson. And I think that it's a lesson to me that it should always kind of be a lesson. Yeah, or, or a checking in later on in the relationship, right? And that's one thing that Kink, um, uh, yeah. reading and writing, um, has has reinforced with me as like, you know, just to check in with your with the partner, you know, um, and put it on the page, put the consent on the page, and put but then put the check ins on the page, right? At least I some know of that the time. I know that there was this sort of thing going around. I don't think it's a thing anymore, but for a while it was about like, well, putting consent on the page pulls you out of the story, like, or whatever. But, but no, like consent isn't like, wait, stop. We must talk about this. Like, you know mm. what I mean? Like there, there are very sensual right. ways to build consent into the story as you're writing it into the scene as you're writing it. So it's not yes. like, wait a minute, we must sit down and work out. Right. Although actually, I mean, if, if it's we did done do the, well, it can be yeah. seamless. Right? right. But even like, you know, there's some of that, um, well, you know, can't condom use be like just, you know, the suspension of disbelief and whatever. And it's like, no, there's probably, you know, there's enough, you know, you're talking about readers 18 and up, right? There's enough young people reading this that you may want to reinforce condom use, you know, and having right. safe sex and having that conversation. And What's wrong with having, why is that not sexy to be smart about sex and, right. and safe sex? And so, right. I, you know, I, I tend to, to write it the way I think it should be rather than worry about some of the naysayers. Right, right. 
Well, um, you know, speaking of that, like at the end of this scene, mm-hmm. you know, they, they finally do couple. Mm-hmm. They have mm-hmm. the sex. And at the end of the scene, he pulls out and finishes outside of her. And was that mm-hmm. a form of birth? Was that this sort of like the yes. form of birth control for the day? Is that kind of what they were practicing? Yes. So okay. Edward has dyslexia and he didn't want to be married. And he's worried about like whether this marriage will work and what if she finds out about the dyslexia and leaves him or then he suddenly says you know what if my child can't read and Mm. so then he was like i'm not ready to think about that yet and he just yeah decides to have his own form of birth control oh wow that's really fascinating all right so his fears like come in right in the middle of yeah Yeah, because he was like, oh, shit, like, I'm pulling, like, I'm pulling, yeah, because it says, fear top of mind, Edward scrambled backward onto his knees, yanking himself out of her and fisting his cock, his hand pumped only twice before his seed spurted onto her belly, her legs, and his hand and thighs, and Sophia lay in an ignorant bliss of his turmoil, staring up at him with a hazy smile, I love that, looking down, she said, tis messier than when you pleasure me with your hand, (laughs) she sent him an arch look. I was like, yes, there'd be a good point. Right. <laughs> I really, yeah. I really like the dynamic between these two. And it's sort of like super interesting that um, they were almost forced, you know, it forced, it was kind of a forced right. marriage, right? Forced like marriage. it was, yeah. kind of, mm-hmm. you know, because they got busted fooling around, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it was like, well, now you got to marry her. And, and it's, but it clearly as they get there happily ever after it was it was clearly like meant to be right like they were right they were meant right. to be together which is why yep. we love romance right yep yeah. and you know what that is that's husband handling <laughs> <laughs> right sassing them a little bit <laughs> so <laughs> absolutely okay so we've got um we, so you've got uh, Penelope's Passion by the time this comes out will be mm-hmm. out in stores. Rosalind's Rebellion is available uh, as a free download to sign up to your newsletter. And then hopefully when this airs, we might have you might have a third book out. I might have that voyeurism book out. That's a widow and a basically a Regency era billionaire kind of guy. Um, oh, nice. Just all about having fun and totally laid back and she's very uptight and uh so that's um that hopefully will be out in april or may and it's called althea's awakening excellent excellent so in the meantime where can people Mm -hmm. find you what's the best place to find you on the internet so um my i have a website it's maggiesims.com and you can sign up for my newsletter there um i'm my most my biggest social media presence is Instagram and I'm Maggie Sims uh, author um, on there. Uh, and I'm on BookBub as Maggie Sims uh, with a hyphen. I'm on TikTok as Maggie Sims dot author. And I'm on Twitter as Maggie Sims author, but without the O because I ran out of characters in authors. <laughs> oh. So, but and I, I tend have... to avoid Twitter and I suck at TikTok. So yeah, um, Instagram, BookBub. And my and my newsletter are my go tos. Same, same. I suck at TikTok and I hate yeah. Twitter. So yeah. <laughs> um. Well, and I will have all of the links um in the show notes. Uh. So cool. people can just click on over. Um. They don't have to scramble to write shit down. Right. Maggie, right. thank you so much for being here. It was super fun to talk to you. 
Oh, else I had so much fun. Thank you so much. This was this was really a joy to, to do. And I do have to thank Sandra Young for uh, pointing me in your direction. So yes. um, she she's the author of Divine Vintage. And I think she's been on your show. And so she found yes. you for me. Thanks so much for listening. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, could you do me a favor? Please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app. It helps with discoverability. Next time, Wee Blair is on the Steam Seat, so be sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.